Episode 26 Katie's job was to send in the thank-you coupons from every gift Molly received. She also had to generate a personalized note to every giver and had a cool new Macintosh for that purpose. But Molly should be able to write her own fucking thank-you letters by now, Katie thought. At one year old, the kid already spoke in full sentences. True, they were mostly lines from her commercials, but that was how most people talked anyway. At least Molly made the words meaningful. Think of your family, then think road crusher tires, Molly said, instead of bye-bye, as Jackie hauled her out to the limo. Saving her work on a floppy disk, Katie picked her way out to the living room. Through a chink in the stack of gifts behind the couch, she could see out the front window. Her dad stood in the driveway, in his uniform of t-shirt and cutoffs. The back of his neck reddened in the evening sun. Leaning on his cane, he bent to examine Enrique's latest airbrushed addition to the aquarium. The artist, a mask over his mouth and nose, paced behind him and gesticulated. A group of neighbors had gathered to watch the work unfold. It was nice, Katie thought, that they had come to see her dad, or at least her dad's project. They weren't trying to catch a glimpse of Molly or yanking leaves off the maple tree. Not that there were any, anymore. Katie had to admit Enrique was a genius. He'd created a complete underwater world on the van. The more she looked, the more she saw. Seahorses, angelfish, snails, an electric eel, coral, sand dollars half buried in the ocean floor. Kelp fronds swayed through beams of refracted light. How had he done that? The van was no longer a machine. It had turned into something organic. Katie made a mental note to buy her dad a set of road crushers. Her mother paid her ridiculously well for her work. She could afford the tires, plus they were on sale this week at Carlsmart. She'd get them even though her father was never going anywhere. The van was a coffin for his dream, and the endless painting was Kyle's way of pushing the dream underwater, over and over, until it finally drowned. To tell the truth, Katie was glad. Life was bizarre enough these days. She could not imagine it without her dad around, or what was left of her dad. She returned to the computer in her bedroom to craft a response to this letter. April 22, 1987 Dear Molly, My husband and I have been trying for years to conceive a second child. Our son, now four, has been acting out in nursery school. Time and again I have been called to take him home. That is the extent that he is disruptive. But once at home he throws things and besmirches the walls, and we know it is all because he is lonely. Yet no other infant has been forthcoming, until now. When we saw you in that commercial for the Solaris 5000 riding lawnmower, which my husband gave to me last Tuesday, I love it, we knew instantly you are the child we were meant to have. That is why I have been barren, our son disconsolate. You know it, too. It's why you said Solaris 5000 directly to us, knowing we needed a bigger lawnmower for our soon-to-be-larger lawn, which will naturally come with our larger house for our larger family. You will make our family complete. Please accept this bonka dump truck, a token of our undying love, and come to us, long-lost daughter. Love and more love. Mrs. Virginia S. Wiggerman, plus husband, plus son. Dear weirdo, Katie typed. Thanks for the truck. As a feminist, I am glad you ignored stereotypes about girls when you chose a toy for me. I don't like it, but I am forced to send in a thank you coupon anyway. Don't spend it all in one place. No, actually do. About the problems with your son, did you know it's now legal to leave unwanted kids out on the curb to be picked up? It's called recycling. Think about it. As for me, I'm afraid I can't join you in your love nest as I'm about to be made President of the United States. But here's an autographed photo that you can shove under your son's nose every time he misbehaves so you can remind him how inadequate he is. Lots of love and keep on trucking, crossed out, shopping, crossed out, 
giving, Molly. But Katie could not bring herself to send this letter. These people were so sad they could have been on the weird frontier. A body blow from Molly would have killed them. Instead, she printed out the standard form letter. Dear blank, thank you ever so much for the blank. I love it and will treasure it always. Your thank you coupon is in the mail. Please enjoy your additional discount at Carl's Mart and be sure to tell your friends and family about the benefits of joining CED. Lots and lots of love, Molly. She signed the letter in crayon and then boxed up a talking Molly doll for Mrs. Wiggerman. She had no idea if she'd made the requisite 100 purchases, but Mrs. W. clearly needed the doll now. I love you, the doll said, as Katie dumped packing peanuts all over its exquisite face. Later, Katie rehearsed with the patients in Stick's grandfather's garage. They were performing her new song, Stupid Cake. I'm not going to eat your 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 stupid cake. You can have some if you want to. Go ahead, you giant pig. Have some more. Here, let me help you. Let me shove it in your face. But I'm not going to eat your stupid cake. Stupid cake. Stupid cake. Stupid cake. Stupid cake. Stupid, 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 stupid. Why don't you go fuck yourself right now? With the unseen, seething neighbors as her only audience, she stalked her imaginary stage, waving her mic stand like a weapon. She wrapped her head in her arms and crouched as though under attack. She gave Stick a playful karate kick to show that it was time for his guitar solo. She had decided to allow him one solo per set, though this flew in the face of everything she was trying to do with the band. The idea of less meant nothing to him, but the effort of containing him was simply too much. He shut his eyes as his flying V moaned and sighed and wailed. Katie knew it was speaking to her, saying everything that Stick himself could not say. That was usually what happened anyway. Tonight the kick prompted nothing. Stick stumbled and then stopped playing altogether. "'What's your problem?' Katie asked him gently. She was learning to be more gentle with him, probably inspired by all those pathetic letters she had to read. "'You,' Stick said, never taking his eyes off his guitar." The bassist, Oliver, rubbed his fingerprints off his Star Trek communicator badge. Mitch slipped out from behind his drums to, as he put it, make use of the facilities. How am I the problem? Katie asked. She felt oddly tickled. Maybe Stick was standing up to her at last. You, like, look happy. You got a big old smile on your face, and you're bouncing around like a kangaroo. That's not what I was going for. Maybe you should face facts. You don't mean what you're saying in that song. You're rich now. You got a piece of that big old cake, and you like it, just like you like that leather jacket. At this point, Oliver decided to make use of the facilities also. You're jealous, Katie said, surprised that she actually believed this. I care about the quality of the performance, is all. You're the one who's always carrying on about us being real. So I should be unhappy, then, like you? I'm not unhappy. Bullshit, you're a doormat. It drives me fucking crazy. Just tell the world to fuck off for once, why don't you? Why don't you tell me to fuck off? I deserve it, don't I? Well, don't I? Fine, Stick said to his guitar. Fuck off. Not like that. Come on. He raised his head. His green eyes narrowed. Fuck, he said. Off. That was pretty good, said Katie. Stick extricated himself from his flying V and left it and Katie stranded in the garage. After several minutes, stunned and impressed, Katie went out to the driveway and got in her car a brand-new black charger. It was from her mother, a 16th birthday present, although her dad had claimed at the last minute that he'd help pick it out. To his credit, he had also tried to teach her to drive in the Reliant, during the rare times Enrique was unavailable for van painting. But his concentration had sucked. He kept staring out the passenger window like he was looking for treasure along the roadside. 
even when she drove over a curb onto someone's lawn. So she had learned to drive like the other kids, from the assistant football coach. He had slathered on the compliments and then passed her with flying colors, even though she was a menace to public safety. She had brought him to the house to meet Molly. This new life did have its advantages, Katie thought. She loved her jacket and her car and the piles of other things Jackie had given her, like black nail polish and a watch cap like a robber's. Who knew Jackie had such good taste? Amazingly, she was proud of her mother, not only for climbing the corporate ladder faster than anybody she'd ever heard of, but for understanding Katie and life far better than she'd ever let on. Still, if Katie was not careful, she'd end up like Jackie, a religious fanatic with capital as her one true God. Jackie said money, at least their money, was a sign of God's grace and nothing to be ashamed of. Katie was far from ashamed. Too far. The charger roared into the night.